Greetings, detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company and our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in one, two, three. Now out one, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Most Sincerely Mine by Jonathan Gash Read by Perry F. Bruns The lovely Victorian marble bust drew me to Gimbert's auction rooms. Worth a king's ransom, it dazzled as if the woman's features were alive. Those ancient sculptors knew love. Lady Sophia Rutherford, carved about 1850. I fell head over heels for her. Why is it so valuable, Lovejoy? Jeanie said. She isn't exactly pretty. She's beautiful. The sculptor could only have been Sir John Steele, Queen Victoria's favourite in Edinburgh. He'd used pure Italian marble and had carved the ringlets which fell about the lady's mantled forehead in a Roman matron style. Then Jeanie ruined my whole day, and all hopes for a fortune. She turned at the commotion among the antique dealers crowding the door and cried, "'Here she is!' A gorgeous apparition swept in, thirtyish with elegance and style, 
wearing tons of bling, she was wondrous. The dealers lusted force five after her wealth and beauty, in that order, and humbly made way. She went straight to the Lady Sophia bust, her gaze lighting momentarily on Jeanie, who managed not to curtsy. I had a sudden bad feeling. You know her. Jeanie runs a tatty knickknackery shop selling cheap dross. She does not move in high society. Lorelei is marvellous. She was so impressed when I told her about the Lady Sophia. You told her? Of course. She runs a charity for the children's hospice and made me a trustee. She wants the bust for her sale at the castle show. This was the worst possible news. I'd borrowed all over East Anglia to scrape together enough money to bid for the Lady Sophia. Is Lorelei rich? A millionairess, Lovejoy. Jeanie hugged herself. Thanks, Jeanie, I said bitterly, and drifted hopes and ruins. The bust was the only genuine antique in Gimbert's, and I could never match her spending power. Then something really weird happened. As I eeled out, I saw Lorelei dart a swift glance at the wall behind the auctioneer's podium, where a large elephant tusk hung on an immense wall plaque. Unfashionable these conservation days, but still a legal purchase of dated a century back, as this tusk was. Cheap and no longer in favour, the tusk had stayed unsold for months. I wondered why a rich lady would dart a look of utter satisfaction at a useless old thing like that tusk. And suddenly I knew. Her scam was the same as mine. Outside in the loading yard I seethed with indignation. What an evil wretch to pinch my idea like that. With all her money? Where, I asked myself, has honesty gone these days? You can't even plan a decent contract without some rich bitch like Lorelei stealing it. Sometimes I despair of modern society. Where has honesty gone? I noticed a Rolls-Royce parked on East Hill and walked the other way. The uniformed chauffeur behind the wheel was reading a paper. I'd seen him once before, in Chelmsford Prison. The old lags called him Sumo, because he was the size of a tram and always bodybuilding. In the ship pub I found Fred, a thin whiffler, one of Gimbert's hirelings. That Lorelei lady, Fred, as she paid up front. The posh bint? Nah, lovejoy. Banker's references. She'll settle up after a charity sale. Why, a scruff like you thinking about bidding her? He fell about at his witticism. I left, smiling. This was clearly a job for old friends. Jaime, a genuine old-style goldsmith, lives down by the sea estuary. I heard his caterwauling even before I walked down to his shed. He warbles old Russian folk tunes as he works. Watch you, Jaime. You again. He kept working. I can't lend you a single kopeck, Lovejoy. Lucky I'm not on the cadge, then. A dozen pieces of gold work were on his etabli, a traditional scalloped-oaked work table on which he crafted his precious metals pieces. I can see how poor you are, Jaime. Then welcome. A friend's visit is a gift. Gnome-like, shriveled and whiskery, he affected a small black skullcap and a shawl. Almost toothless, 
He wore bifocal lenses and sat with his chest fitted into one of the atabli's recesses. Lovejoy, you never paid me for that chalice I created for you two years ago. He wagged his head. I often wonder if Jaime is consciously playing a caricature of himself. Oi, the trouble my Sara gave me. Your forgery saved our village church and a lady's reputation, Jaime, I said piously. Me helping Jesuits already? Don't whine, Jaime. I've got a big moment for you. More wags as he resumed filing the bale of a gold pendant. Some scam? A theft? For the sick children. He stopped filing and shook out his basil. A split-thickness hide apron latched onto the atabli to catch the gold filings, or lemel, that fall from it. Keep off my clays, son. I had more sense than to stand on the wooden grills on the floor. Properly named, Kles are cleaned once a year in Chalmette's famous goldsmithy in the Place Vendôme, Paris. Though in Thailand's mass production factories, they use carpets and vacuum them daily, saving whole kilos of gold annually. Jaime recovers three ounces a year. A careful bloke, Jaime. He switched on a kettle. We sat on a bench by the shed door. It started to rain as I explained about Lorelei, her charity scam, Jeannie, the felonious chauffeur. I want a sculpture copied small, preferably in ivory, I said, and told him of the Lady Sophia bust. He laughed, his wispy beard jerking. He sounded like a sheep in a hill fog. I'd need the Cheverton machine, he gasped, rolling in the aisles. In ivory? Out of the question. That's bad luck. I knew he'd do it. Because the children's hospice will have to close if Lorelei gets away with it. No more laughs. Then he said, Don't kettles take ages to boil? Jaime's grandbaby, now thriving six years old, was successfully treated some time back. We drank his horrible brew in silence. Good goldsmith, but makes gruesome tea. I drank it, and didn't even grimace. Remarkable things happen in the antiques trade. You'd think, for instance, that a uniquely beautiful sculpture from a royal artist, like Sir John Steele's bust of Lady Sophia, would be umpteen times more precious than, say, a five-inch ivory reproduction of that same bust carved by a machine, right? In fact, wrong. Christie's sold an ivory replica for twenty times as much as the genuine original. Reason? It was made using a stunning gadget called the Cheverton Hawkins Sculpture Reducing Machine. It is, was, an instrument created first by the genius of two Victorians— those heroes created their clever device in 1836. It meant that statues, busts, any sculpture could be copied in smaller versions. Within a year, these repros were all the rage. Simulants in ivory and parian ware glutted the art market all through Victoria's reign, until the Art Deco movement put pay to such realisms. Now, though, time has moved on. Whoever had the Lady Sophia sculpture would be in a wonderful position. People say that if you own a TV station, you own a permanent machine to make money. The Lady Sophia would work in almost exactly the same way, because miniature replicates in exotic materials are now priced at whole logarithms more than the originals. Illogical? 
Yes. Unreasonable? Sure. But true? Certainly. For fashion always spoils the plot in antiques. So buy the genuine Lady Sophia sculpture, and you'd be able to turn out illegal miniature reproductions of the Master's creation month after month to the nth power for as long as the fashion endured. I guess she would use illegal immigrant carvers from the Balkans to make exact copies on the cheap, whereas I'd have to make mine myself. See how corrupt Lorelei's mind truly was? I felt outraged. Jaime, teaching art students at the Tech, once made a sculpture-reducing machine. I tried it and was all thumbs, but Jaime has patience. It works like a three-dimensional pantograph. Move a pointed rod over a bust, and it copies the original in a much reduced size. See, Jaime, I wheedled, I don't think a millionaire should defraud a hospice. It's wrong. He thought, then said, Promise not to keep the money for yourself, Lovejoy. I swallowed. Promise, Jaime. Hundred percent. I gritted my teeth. And I mean that most sincerely. By the time I left, I had promised to forge three Jack B. Yates paintings for Jaime. The originals have increased by three thousand percent in the last decade, Irish oils being flavor of the day. Even a small Yates will buy a townhouse. The forgeries don't take me too long. I can do one in a weekend if I get my skates on. Forger's tip. Use Naples yellow, Payne's grey, and size 4 palette knives on marine ply. I decided not to tell Jeanie. She would only worry. My problem now was to get into Gimbert's vaults where the Lady Sophia bust was being kept until Lorelei's charity sale. I thought of the risks. Getting caught and imprisoned. Then I had a sudden brainwave. What if somebody else did it instead? What, I thought, are friends for? What are friends for? I asked Alicia. Alicia is a bonny lass from Sierra Leone who came a-touring one day and never left. She is our only lady burglar and runs a coffee shop. I'm asking your help, I explained. Medical charity. She went all misty. You're so sweet, Lovejoy. Some folk only think of money. What wretches, I said. Be at Jaime's, six o'clock. Jaime had his homemade Sheverton Hawkins device on the atabli when we got there. It looked like something from a horror film where they tie a psychopath's head into a sinister mask. It's improvised, young lady, Jaime told her. I've made it as light as possible. What do I have to do? Just find the marble bust. The device is simply a spindly rod attached to a closed box. Move the spindle over the lady's marble face, up, down, ten degrees of arc every time. The little box records the measurements. I gave a grunt of disapproval. Everybody's a critic, he said. So I've put a small computer in it, Lovejoy. So what? The original was too heavy, and who wants that? True. But I felt uneasy. Great museums make replicates of Egyptian and Roman artifacts using this trick, he said. Elisha made one or two practice moves and got Harmy's nod. Not now, I warned. Three o'clock in the morning is best for burglars unless you have Perugia's luck. What's that? Vincenzo Perugia, an Italian decorator in the Louvre, 
pinched the Mona Lisa in August 1911, just stuffed the painting under his smock and walked out. He wasn't even suspected despite having a criminal record and leaving thumbprints all over the frame. Would have gotten away with it completely if he hadn't tried to sell it a few years later to a gallery in Italy. That's real luck! Alicia's eyes glinted with excitement. The suspects included Picasso, no less. The French fleeks eventually slung the poet Apollinaire in a pokey for the crime, had to release him later for lack of evidence. In true John Bunyan Oscar Wilde fashion, he used the time to dash off a poetic masterpiece. Isn't life romantic? Alicia breathed. Will you go with Alicia, Lovejoy? Jaime said. Of course. I tried for sincere. Take care of her. Everybody's a critic. I tried to do his intonation, but it didn't sound quite right. Reproach must be a knack. Two o'clock that night, I walked with Alicia along the river footpath as far as the field below the Castle Hill moat. Once there, you climb the ancient St. Botolph Priory Wall, then go through the public gardens to Roman Road. Across East Hill stands Gimbert's auction. We made it unseen, me carrying the wrapped Sheverton device. I had my story ready should we be stopped by a vigilant plod. This was unlikely, because our town's finest would be drinking themselves stupid in the police snooker club, whiling away the lantern hours filling out overtime forms. Don't forget, I whispered, the bust is a standard thirty inches. It's the only marble in the locked bays, okay? Will you be here? Trust me, I said. You're so sweet, Lovejoy. Which was true, because I could have been making a mint of money from this very scam. Instead, I was sacrificing myself on the altar of poverty for a good cause. I watched her slip silently into the shadows and leant back, ready to flee should some uniformed plod mistakenly wander out onto his beat. The town hall clock struck quarter to three. When I'm nervous, I say bits of poems to myself. Some are from school, others picked up anywhere. I started with the green eye of the little yellow god, the butt of many music hall skits. It still has a certain grim power. I got halfway, then forgot the rest. I hummed a verse of Pale Hands I loved, the only song Rudolph Valentino ever recorded. Somebody grabbed my arm. I went, Ah! Shh! Lovejoy! Alicia was back. She is darker skinned than most, and I hadn't seen her. I must have dozed off. You stupid bitch, you scared me. Shh! In the night gloaming, I could see her teeth. She was laughing. Women have no sensitivity. It was exciting. Did you know they have a night watchman? Well, yes, but there you go. No, I said as if shocked. That Gimbert's a suspicious swine. Clever girl. Let's go. We walked back toward Castle Hill. It was at the end of Roman Road that we were arrested. George, our town's most idle plot, was having a smoke under the old gateway arch. He shone his lamp. That you, love, Joy? Come along. You're nicked. You can't arrest us, George. We're out for a night stroll, aren't we, Alicia? Yeah, yeah. He handed me his cell phone. Text for a police van, Lovejoy. My eyes aren't what they were. Twenty minutes later, we were in the police station and booked. We stuck to our tale, an innocent night walk. 
The desk sergeant inspected Alicia's gadget. What is this, miss? For sketching, she said with her winning smile. I draw. It's just a cheap graphing device. I've never seen it before, I put in quickly, avoiding her eye. He was suspicious, but none of the plot had ever seen one like it. He unscrewed the computer box, making sure his penknife ruined the microchip. Whoops, he said. Sorry. Still, you can easily get another. Then let me go. Elisha proved to be on parole, so they kept her. I was really knocked because she didn't even answer when I called goodnight. I mean, she could easily have ditched the Sheverton instrument among the weeds by the Priory. Then we'd have been in the clear. I honestly think women are too unreliable for the antiques trade. I walked the six miles to my cottage. No night buses to the village. Then slept like a log. Love, Joy? I woke with a screech. Jaime was standing there. The door hangs off, so locks are futile. I cursed my way of a morning greeting. He was carrying a bundle and unwrapped a beautiful plasticine model of Lady Sophia. I gaped. How did you manage that? It looked accurate. I didn't trust you, Lovejoy. He spoke with calm. I put the transmitter in the gadget. A kiddie's toy. You can get them from Parmer's in Head Street. Cheap, but it does the job. I was outside Gimbert's recording the measurements as Alicia took them. You untrustworthy swine, Jaime. So sue me. He put the model down. Good luck. Here, I said. Aren't you going to make an ivory miniature? My whole scam depends on it. Think of the sick children. You left that poor girl in the nick, Lovejoy. It was unavoidable. You have to believe me. Everybody was leaving my glorious plan. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only honest bloke left. Believe you? He said over his shoulder. Czar, sure. You Lovejoy? I don't think so. And that, said Alice to Christopher Robin, was that. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, Maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.